Morning. <laughs> Morning. <laughs> uh, we're going to ca- continue our series going through Matthew. Um, I'm going to read about three, four verses. Um, and it's a question about fasting. Okay. So when John's disciples came to Jesus saying, Why do, you, do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch would tear away from the garment, and a worse hole is made. Neither do people put new wine into old wineskins, or else the skins will burst and the wine will be spilled and the skin's ruined. No, they put new wine in fresh new wineskins and both are preserved. Well, we'll start. When Jesus said that he was the bridegroom, if you go to uh, the Old Testament, you'll see that in Isaiah 62.5 and Hosea 2.19, the bridegroom is Yahweh, God himself. And um, that's what he's saying about himself. And the arrival of the kingdom of heaven is caused at a time of rejoicing, not a time of fasting and seeking God. Um, there were various kinds of fasts that were practiced in the Old Testament. Jesus isn't saying that fasting is a wrong thing or a bad thing. He's just saying at that time when he's with them, it's not appropriate. Um, because in the New Testament, they did do fasting um, when Jesus wasn't there, when he ascended on high, when there were important things to do and decisions to be made, and they sought God and they did prayer and fasting. I will go back to that in, in a bit. But Jesus did talk about fasting, about not having gloomy faces, not looking as though you're fasting, but to do it in secret. Um, as in Matthew 6, um, don't be a hypocrite. Don't look, you know, all bedraggled, unwashed, unclo- you know, your clothes all dirty, and look as though you're distressed. No, he said, do it in secret, where your father will reward you. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, not let your fasting be seen by others, and so on. So, Jesus fasted as well. He did it for 40 days. And then he came out in the power of the Spirit. And we'll come back to that as well. And we also have... Others think people like Moses fasted and prayed for 40 days on two occasions. And then we have Elijah who fasted. And his fasting was a means of focusing intently in prayer um, to find out what God wanted to do. Okay? Um, and actually, though the Jews in, in Jesus' time fasted a lot, there's only one day in the scriptures where they needed to fast and it's called Yom Kippur Um, 
I'm not sure that's the correct pronunciation. But it was a time when they would fast, and it was to do with atonement, it was to do with repentance. Uh, the day's observance in your Kippur was consisted of full fasting. They kept their behavior from earthly things, so they didn't celebrate or eat uh, lavish foods or anything like that. And they confessed their sins. Uh, it, t- traditionally inside a synagogue, alongside related holidays and so on. Uh, so we need to realize that when Jesus wasn't fasting it was a hard thing for the Pharisees to figure out because traditionally they had done that and traditionally and tradition is not what Jesus was after he was bringing something new something foretold in the Old Testament Um, I mean some of the things that they added the, the Pharisees added was fasting two times a week right? usually on a Tuesday or Thursday or a Monday or Thursday um, and they added so many rules and regulations that it took away from who God is they thought they were saved by all these rituals by all these uh, fastings they thought that was it but actually it was about knowing God, having faith in the sacrifices they were making at the temple, um, that the Day of Atonement would atone for the sacrifice, the sins that they'd done that year, and so on. They had to trust that that was it. But if you're taking it away, and you're doing two fastings to get saved a week, if you're doing purifying washings, you're not touching sinners, you're not helping the poor because that would make you unclean. You don't have... Um, Gentiles near you because that would make you unclean. Uh, you don't go into unbelievers or Gentiles' houses that would make you unclean. You don't touch uh, women during certain times of the month. You don't do this and that. And Jesus said about this that you make so many rules, you make so many burdens upon people, and you don't lift a finger to help them. And so he really didn't like that because the whole point was to know him to know God, his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness. Jesus said, I I, I prefer mercy to all that. I prefer loving kindness and grace opposed to all that, which you put a burden on people. And if they can't do it, they feel like they're not saved. It's awful. And that's how he felt about it. Slightly off my notes. So Jesus also got up the Pharisees' noses, shall we say, because he spent time with sinners, tax collectors. He even defiled himself by eating in their homes. That's how they looked at it. He healed people on the Sabbath, the Sunday. And that was considered work by the Pharisees, you know, healing people, asking God to heal people was work. Not really. Not really. He ignored rituals that were the foundation of their religious life. I really didn't like it. Um, So that's why they were coming to him to try and trap him and to say, why don't you fast? But he said, but I'm the bridegroom. I'm Yahweh. 
God with us. Emmanuel. So, when he's saying, you know, about the, he's the bridegroom, it's in context of a Jewish wedding. When we have a wedding in Western civilization, in England, let's say, we have a service, we have a reception, and you go off on your honeymoon. But Jewish people in those times didn't do that. They had an open house for a week. The bridegroom and the bride were often called the king and queen and they were treated like royalty for a week. All their friends came every day for a week to celebrate with them, eat, feast, sing, dance, and have a really joyous time. So that's what Jesus was talking about when he's saying, I'm the bridegroom, they don't need to fast whilst we're celebrating a wedding. Think about it. You're not going to fast if you're enjoying someone's wedding for a whole week. We do it for a few hours, and then we go off on honeymoon together. Well, Wendy and I did, anyway. So, um, some people take their mother-in-laws. I've heard of that. A friend of ours did that, and I thought that was slightly strange, but there we go. Um, but the Jews celebrated for a whole week the wedding feast. Okay. That is what we're looking forward to in the future. Because we, if we die, we're going to go be with him. We're going to be at that wedding feast with him because he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Okay, that's the celebration we're looking forward to. Okay, it's not something that we're going to be fasting about. I can't imagine doing that for a whole week but it must have been really great because remember they lived in communities they knew each other they knew each other's families and that's a really good thing in other cultures they do this sort of thing and it's lovely I, I, I really like the idea of it okay so in Isaiah 62:5, as a young man marries a woman young woman so your son's marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall our God rejoice over you. And in Hosea it says, and I will betroth you to me. This is God talking. Forever I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That day is coming for us. God has promised it in the Old Testament and the New. So, when Jesus was present with his disciples, it was not a time for fasting. But when he did go, it was a time for fasting to seek the Lord. Yeah. So, Jesus was not breaking any law of God when he and his disciples did not fast more often. Jesus was not being less spiritual. Jesus was violating customs and traditions and rules set up by Pharisees and Sadducees to, in inverted commas, help people keep the law of God. In fact, they were just adding so much to it, it was really difficult for anyone to follow that. And they felt condemned and maybe that they weren't going to heaven and all that sort of thing. 
Because like I said before, the laws prescribed. These are the Pharisees' laws and Sadducees. Fast every Tuesday, Thursday. A number of special days added. Everyone sought to be spiritual. Kept these things. It's all rules. Rules. And uh, it wasn't required by God. They were required by men. Our responsibility is to know God, follow him, and follow his rules and his love. And he desires love and mercy and grace and loving kindness towards people rather than rules and regulations. In the past, in many churches, they have different traditions. You would turn up in a suit when I was a young man. I used to have this green suit I used to go to church in. That was the only time I ever wore it. It didn't look very nice as far as I was concerned, but it's the only one I had. My mum used to make sure I was dressed up in it and off we go. In other churches and other traditions, women would have to cover their hair. So it's nothing, not bad, it's just a tradition, but it's nothing to do with being saved. It's nothing to do with knowing God. But it was all sorts of rules and regulations. Would you play cards? Would you play sport on a Sunday? And you, you wouldn't, you know. You, would you think of Jesus playing cards? No, you, you can't do that. Um, you know, um, would you dance? Where would you dance? Would you dance? All these sort of things. Would you watch a movie on Sunday? Or ever? You know? Um, so this... This, these sort of rules can inhibit. People start thinking, well, Jesus and the church is all about you don't dance, you don't play cards, you don't watch movies, don't play sports. Wow, how dreary is that? Okay. When it's actually about encountering and knowing God and walking with him through your life. It's not about all these rules. I wouldn't. I would do tend to have a wash and brush my hair when I come to church. I must admit, um, I like to look presentable. Wendy make, insists upon it, so there we go. Um, but you know, we're not going to make rules about women wearing hats all the time. They can if they want. It's not a problem. You don't have to wear a green suit like me as a kid coming to a Baptist church. I can, I can still picture it. It's, oh. Not good. There we go. Jesus reminds us it's our responsibility to obey God. Obeying laws of others and traditions of others is an option. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, like I said before, that fasting is wrong. Jesus was not discounting the value of spiritual discipline. Fasting has an important part to play because Jesus said, when you fast, not if. Okay, so he's not here. The Holy Spirit is here and sometimes he instructs us to fast. When Paul uh, selected elders for the churches on his way back, uh, to Jerusalem as he was making that journey they prayed and fasted all together to see who was going to be the elders in the church I asked God and God gave them direction 
right through into Antioch when they're praying. The Holy Spirit said, are you praying and fasting? The Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Silas. They're going off to preach the gospel of the Gentiles, plant churches, make disciples. These are the guys that are going to do it. And, and uh, so there is reasons for fasting. I've done it myself as a younger man, asking God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? I started off missing one meal because, you know, if you, you're not going to start off at a 40-day fast if you've never done it. It's just, <laughs> I haven't done a 40-day fast, just to say. I've done a, a week a few times, about two to three times. It's hazy in my memory because I haven't done it for a long time. I have recently done it um, uh, when we were fasting on Tuesdays. I, I used to fast on the afternoon. It was to do with uh, our planting the church and uh, asking God's direction on things. And we did it together. Uh, Jen, as in Josh and Jen, organized it. And uh, we asked people if they wanted to join in. You don't have to join in. It is... Would you like to? We, I'm not enforcing fasting in this church, but when we uh, think some things are important, we will ask you to do so. And then that's entirely up to you. I, I started fasting for a week when I really wanted to know, where, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want, where do you want me to work? Where, and important times in my life. And I would just say that if you're going to do it, there are certain things you should do which is eat a lot of vegetables before you start. Okay. Um, but the whole point is to be giving yourself time to search and ask God questions and reading the scripture, meditating on his word so he can communicate with you what he wants you to do. And so, just fasting for fasting's sake doesn't do anything for you, but it provides you time if you've got the right motive. So, instead of preparing meals for yourself and eating them, you've got plenty more time to start searching the scriptures. Because the more you read the scriptures, the more he can talk to you. He can talk to you in many ways. But, you know, I was uh, once just asking God, you know, I like gardening, I'd like to have land to do that with and all this sort of thing. And it first came out, you are going to inherit the land. It's a verse in the Bible, it just popped out, because at some stage I read it, okay? At another stage in my life, a verse in the Bible popped out from Peter, owed no man anything. It was slightly out of context, but it was for me, it came alive. I got rid of all my debts, and that's when I lost my job. And if I'd had debts and lost my job, um, I'd have been real trouble onwards. I, I did actually get a job fairly soon afterwards, but it was God preparing me to get rid of things that I shouldn't have, like debts and things like that. Okay? So the more you seek God and the more you read your scriptures and things like that, um, the more he can speak to you, the more you can hear. Now he can give you dreams, he can give you visions, he can give you words from other people, you know. Um, and so on. But actually, fasting gives you time to concentrate on, on seeking God and what does he want from you. Okay. Yeah.
God. Jesus is the bridegroom. So when he comes into our lives, it changes things. Does it not? Our relationship with God changes. When we put our faith in Jesus, we sacrifice our sins and we put our trust. Faith and trust are similar. I trust that Jesus has saved me from my sin and has a life for me. My story, quite a long one, but I was in New Zealand and I just prayed, God, if you're real, I need to know. And I was really surprised when he turned up. That's a really short version. He came in and poured love into my heart. I asked, are you real? And I got this answer, unmistakably. And so can you. So can you. And I said, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to forgive those that have hurt me. I'm going to ask for forgiveness for those I've hurt. But I'm going to follow you. If you're real, I'm going to follow you. And he turned up, forgave me my sins. And I've been following him ever since. And he is faithful in his love and perseverance and mercy, considering how we behave sometimes. His love is forever towards us. I have a list here. I'm going to read some of it. We are no longer enemies or antagonists of God when we're saved and we're following Jesus. We're now called sons and daughters of God. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. We should not mourn. We should be joyful because we know where we're going. Our view of ourselves should change because we are no longer seeing ourselves as miserable failures or sinners. We are people who have been wonderfully forgiven. We are children of the King. You need to meditate on these things. We are sinners saved by grace, his loving kindness and mercy. We know that we are loved. Why else would he do it? Because he loves us. We are loved by God. Please listen to this. You are loved by God. You are loved. He will persevere with you and have mercy and forgive you and work in your lives faithfully because he is faithful. We know that we are forgiven. Keep a short list. If you know you've hurt someone, apologise. If you've sinned, apologise to God. Keep a short list, short time on that. You're forgiven. Forgiven. We know that we're headed to heaven. We need to let that change our view of ourselves. It's really important. Because it's easy to feel condemned when we do bad things. So when we slip, when we say things that are hurtful to people, intentionally or unintentionally, it's easy for you condemned but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and we are in him 
our motivation for living changes. We're not seeking God's favour and trying to get saved. We're living in gratitude for God's favour and love. I think those things are really important. How we see ourselves. How God sees us. God, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's why he met the sinners, tax collectors. That's why he brought his kingdom with him. In heaven, there is no sickness. There is no sin. Everyone knows God. And he came to bring that to us so that we can bring that kingdom in our lives. This is a whole theme of Jesus when he came. Seeking to save the lost, giving you a future, giving healing, giving forgiveness, giving wholeness, giving joy, so that we may live our lives in this world which is not easy. So, we go back to the scripture I read. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and it's worse than it was. Neither do you put new wine in an old wineskin. This is not something we do anymore. We've got glass bottles. But in those days, you put new wine in a new wineskin. It would expand and then contract and then your wine was ready to drink. If you put it in an old one, it would burst it because it's no longer pliable. Okay. And it would be, make it worse. So what Jesus really is implying here that Judaism with its, all its rules and things like that is not compatible with God's loving, saving grace. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to give you more rules that you will not be able to keep. Like I said before, in Judaism it was, they replaced knowing God, having faith in the sacrifices and all the things that God had for them with rules and regulations because it felt safer. But it kept a barrier between them and God. Which is why when Jesus went to the temple, he cleared it out. Because they were a barrier to knowing his Father in heaven. He really did not like the barriers being put up by men that stopped them knowing him and knowing God. It was something really precious to him. He came to seek and save the lost. So no, there's no need for sacrifices or cleansing rituals. All the regulations about priests are necessary because our Lord is our high priest. So there is value in knowing some of the Jewish traditions, like the wedding feast, for a whole week. It gives you an idea of what it's going to be like when we're with Jesus on that wedding feast with the whole church. Can you imagine it, actually? I, I find it hard because there's going to be billions of us, right? But he can speak to individually each one of us as though we're just it. I, I find that difficult to comprehend but he can do it because he's God 
He's the creator of all things. So there's value in knowing how Daniel fasted. He didn't always go without food. He just went to simple things so he could eat quickly and ask God and meditate on the scriptures and hear from him. So knowing Jesus and Christianity is the new wineskin and the new cloth. We also know that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He pays all our debts. There is no barrier between us and the Father because we're in Christ and he's in him. That was Jesus' prayer. Father, that they would be in me as I am in you. That's close. That's closer than some of us would find comfortable. I didn't have a brilliant father, so I was always afraid of him. And so the Father in heaven was always someone that I sort of kept away <laughs> because I, I, of my earthly experience. But actually I came to know him as someone that loved me because he sent Jesus to save us. So our view of God is really important. He supplies our needs. I have found this throughout my whole Christian life. He supplies my needs in many surprising ways. I remember, this is a story I told before, coming home, I used to have to travel about 50 miles between my work and my home. And uh, one night my car gave up and blew, the engine blew up, right in, quite about an hour's way from home. And I just felt peace. I can't explain it. I rang up the RAC, they sorted me out, I felt peace about it. I knew that I was going to work in two days time and I didn't have a car to get to work 50 miles away. And I said, this is, this is where you have a, a wonderful wife. I said, Wendy says, um, okay, when go out tomorrow, I'm gonna to buy a new car. And I said, with what? She said, that's not faith. It's not. So I went to church that morning and someone came up to me and gave me a thousand pound check. And they had no idea, no idea that I needed it for a car. So we went out that afternoon, I got a car, and I went to work Monday. That's a big thing in my mind, because I just remember how I'm going to do that. With what? And Wendy said, that's not faith, that's not trust. All right. It taught me a big lesson to trust him for all my needs. And it says, you know, in the scriptures, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. This is better than rituals and rules and regulations. It's knowing him and trusting him for not just your salvation, but for everyday life. He sympathizes with our suffering because he's suffered. He came into a sinful world and saw all the trouble in it. He came to seek and save the lost. And then he sacrificed himself so that no longer any sacrifice was needed. And it was painful and it was humiliating for the Son of God to go through all that. But he says in scripture, he despised the shame because he had this hope of a huge bride, beautiful on a wedding day, waiting for him 
on the other side of that. And death could not hold him because he had not, no sin in him. So he made that sacrifice and then came back. Brilliant, brilliant. He does not reject us, but redeems us. Okay. It says, whoever comes to me, I will not push away, reject, turn away. Whoever. So it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you've done, how you've done it. You come to Jesus, he will make you whiter than snow, cleaner than clean. He will forgive everything. Okay. And it doesn't matter what you've done. A real true believer is someone who has abandoned any hope of saving themselves. Because how can you do lots of good things to make up for what you've done bad? Because you've still hurt somebody, you've still sinned, you've still done things that are irreparable actually in many people's lives. And just doing good doesn't make up for it. There's no balance of scale, sin is sin. But if you believe in Jesus' sacrifice, you are saved. You are going to heaven. You're going to be part of that wedding feast. We can't be good enough, because we're not good enough. Because we're saved through forgiveness. Right? I keep saying it, because it's true. If you're a true believer, you know your only hope is salvation in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. I would just say to you that Jesus came to save you. And once you're saved, he wants you to walk with him, being intimate with him, to live this life the way he wants you to live it, because that would be the most fulfilling for you. I remember taking part in an evangelism thing and people being saved, and I felt so much joy that I wanted to do that again and again. But just to see someone who's never believed in Jesus encountering God for themselves, suddenly finding out he's real, that they're forgiven and they're going to heaven and they can live this life, however it turns out, with him and through him, is a thrilling experience. And if you have not done that yet and want to do that, I'm going to finish now and you come see me, come chat, come chat with or talk with someone you know really well. But I'm going to finish there. Because God loves you and wants to forgive you. He wants to have mercy on you. He wants to call you a son and a daughter. He wants you in his family. God bless you.